0: Chapter 27 of the Life of Kit Carson by Edward S. Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. While preparing to go into camp, the explorers were mystified by hearing a number of peculiar sounds like the barking of dogs. Attentive listening, however, satisfied them that it came from an Indian village close by, whose women and children were calling out and lamenting. This constituted positive proof that the friends in advance were in trouble with the red men, and there was not a minute to lose in going to their rescue. A half-mile further, the explorers galloped over a slight ridge, when they suddenly came in sight of several hundred Indians, who were making their way up two sides of a knoll, on the crest of which the four scouts had entrenched themselves among the rocks and trees, and were coolly awaiting the attack of their enemies. The little party had run so suddenly into danger that they were compelled to make a flying leap from their horses, in order to secure a suitable shelter. The assailants had almost captured the abandoned horses when relief came. The two Delawares made a dash to recover their animals, their companions shooting the foremost of the thieves. The property was saved, and then all fell back to their own camp. As the aboriginal horse-thieves were so numerous, Fremont kept up an unremitting watch all through the night. Singular noises were continually heard, and there could be no doubt that the women and children were retreating further into the mountains. One of the Delawares on guard was sure he saw an Indian leap over a log, and, firing quickly, brought him to the ground. But it proved to be a prowling wolf. None of their enemies appeared, and when morning came, Fremont withdrew from his perilous position. Sutter's fort was at last safely reached, and the other party, having become lost, Carson was sent to find them. He succeeded with little difficulty, and the companies reunited. Their course was now directed toward Monterey on the seacoast, where they were confident of securing all they needed. But before reaching the place, a messenger arrived from General Castro, the Mexican commander of the territory, ordering the americans to leave at once or they would be driven out fremont immediately entrenched himself and waited for the mexicans to carry out their threat he waited three days and then as no attempt was made withdrew to the sacramento which stream was followed to lawson's trading post where the commander hoped to purchase the outfit for the journey homeward moving northward toward the columbia they encountered an enormous force of marauding indians with whom a fierce battle was fought the savages were defeated and lost a large number of warriors while in camp near klamath lake two horsemen galloped up with dispatches to fremont from washington forwarded by lieutenant gillespie of the united states marines This officer was making his way through the Indian country with six men as an escort when his animals began to succumb. Fearing he would not be able to intercept the captain, the lieutenant selected two of his best men and sent them ahead with the dispatches. He begged Fremont to forward him assistance, as he doubted his ability to reach him without such help. But the most startling news brought to camp was that war had been declared between the United States and Mexico when fremont had read his dispatches from his government he appreciated the imminent danger in which the lieutenant was placed and without any tarrying perfected measures for his rescue he immediately selected ten of his men carson as a matter of course being among them and pushed on with all haste leaving directions for the rest to follow as rapidly as they could fremont and his little company had journeyed something over fifty miles when they met the officer and his companions the meeting was of the happiest nature for the lieutenant in fact was in greater danger than he suspected the indians around him being among the most treacherous of their race those who have been placed in a situation resembling in a slight degree that of fremont can appreciate the interest with which he pursued the letters and papers from his distant home after the parties had gone into camp the captain sat up till after midnight reading by the light of the campfire. tired out at last he stretched out with his blanket about him and sank soon into heavy slumber the night was cold and carson and owens with their saddle blankets wrapped around them lay down close to the fire all at once carson heard a peculiar noise as though someone had struck a quick blow with an axe wondering what it could mean he called to one of the mountaineers "'What's the matter over there?' "'There was no answer, "'for the head of the poor fellow "'had been cleft by an axe "'in the hands of one of the Klamath Indians "'who had crept into camp. "'A Delaware had already been killed "'by the treacherous Redskins, "'that night being the second "'among all those spent in the West "'when the explorers had no sentinel on duty. "'Carson and Owens called out, "'Indians!' "'And springing to their feet, "'hurried away from the fire,' whose strong light was sure to tempt the aim of their enemies. One of the other Delawares, who leaped to his feet, snatched up the nearest rifle which unfortunately was not his own, and was unloaded. Unaware of the fact, he tried to fire it over again and again without suspecting the cause, while a Klamath launched arrow after arrow into his body. The first penetrated his left breast and was fatal but he bravely kept his feet trying to discharge the useless gun, until four other missiles were also buried within a few inches of the first. Kit Carson had been quick to detect the danger of the brave Delaware, and in the hope of saving his life, he brought his unerring rifle to his shoulder. Just as his finger pressed the trigger, he recollected that that, too, was unloaded. By one of those singular fatalities which sometimes occur, Carson had broken the tube the night before and left the weapon unloaded. Without trifling with it, he threw it down, drew his single-barreled pistol, and ran toward the Klamath, who was coolly launching his arrows into the breast of the poor Delaware. The Indian leaped from side to side so as to distract the aim of his enemies, and, instead of hitting him, Carson only cut the string which held a tomahawk to the warrior's arm. The mountaineer had no other shot at command, and Maxwell tried his hand, but in the uncertain light inflicted only a slight wound. The Indian at that moment wheeled to run, when one of the whites shot him dead. By this time the alarm was general, and the assailants fled. There was good reason to believe that the Klamath Indians had set the snare for Lieutenant Gillespie and his escort, and it was the wonder that fremont's command did not suffer to a greater extent for having no sentinels on duty the warriors might have perfected their schemes in security and killed a large number the indian who drove five arrows into the breast of the delaware three of which pierced his heart was the leader of the attacking party he had an english half-axe slung to his wrist by a cord and forty arrows were left in his quiver Carson pronounced them the most beautiful and warlike missiles he had ever seen. As may be supposed, the explorers slept on their arms for the rest of the night, but the assailants had fled. They had killed three of the explorers, besides wounding another of the Delawares, who took characteristic revenge by scalping the leader that had been left where he fell. The dead were given the best burial possible. As illustrating the ingratitude and perfidy of these red men, It may be stated that it was only a few days before that that they had visited Fremont's camp, and though provisions were very scarce, they had been given considerable food, besides tobacco and a number of presents. End of chapter 27